In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Jonathan Rennick about pushing more work to the database to speed up your application. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 104. Before we get into the conversation with Jonathan today, I just wanted to quickly announce that a few days ago, Steve Shoger and I finally released Refactoring UI, which is a huge package we put together that will give you everything you need to start making your projects look awesome without relying on the help of a professional designer. It includes a 218-page book, a set of video tutorials, a custom illustrated icon set, pre-built professionally chosen color palettes and font recommendations, as well as a huge gallery of component and layout ideas to help you get any new design started on the right foot. Uh, right now it's available for 40% off, so if you haven't checked it out already, head over to refactoringui.com book to learn more about it. Thanks, now back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wathen, and today it's my pleasure to be welcoming back a recurring guest, Jonathan Renning. How's it going, dude? I am doing awesome. Thanks for having me back on, Adam. Awesome. So uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or I don't know how long ago it was. Yeah, it was in November. Yeah, you you put out this article that was uh, basically talking about how to do some more advanced kind of database querying stuff and how to kind of make some of these little things that you need to do with like Eloquent and Laravel, for example, uh, a lot more performant than they might be otherwise. And you also gave a talk that went into depth about a lot of this stuff at Laracon Online uh, back in February, I think it was. Yep. So uh, I thought it'd be awesome to have you on the show to talk about some of this stuff because that's an area where I think um, myself, like a lot of people, don't have a ton of skills and knowledge. Like I know my way around the ORM really well. I can write SQL, you know, and get by. But when it comes to like really uh, more sophisticated queries and doing stuff with subselects and stuff that I don't even know how to write by hand. Uh, I think I have a lot to learn there, and I think there's a lot that uh, the listeners could could benefit from learning as well. So, yeah. So why don't you talk a little bit about just kind of your mentality when it comes to trying to solve problems like this? Because I know that a lot of people talk about like trying to make sure that your code is as decoupled from things like the database as possible. You know, you should be able to switch between MySQL or Mongo or some external API, you know, by just flipping the switch in an environment file uh, somewhere. But I'm pretty sure that your approach is to embrace the database a little more and be a little bit more intentional about choosing one over another for the different features that they offer and stuff like that. So, so maybe the best place to start is like what kind of motivated you to get deeper into working with the database more directly and figuring out how to kind of let it do more of the heavy lifting for you? So I guess it probably, it probably actually went the other way for me. Okay. Literally like, so the, the first website, I think I've talked about this on the show before the first website I ever built, which was in and around 1999, 2000 was a, a website, um, for a guy who sold wood products and he wanted a website that would list all the available products that he had. Um, and he wanted to be able to update the products himself, which if I look back, that was like, like literally like early two thousands. I'm, I'm even kind of impressed with that business owner. If I reflect on it, that he was asking for such a thing, but whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and this was really kind of the first time I started working with MySQL and, and PHP and I was pretty like new back then. I really honest, honestly didn't even really understand where the lines started and stopped between HTML and PHP. And, and well, there wasn't really CSS at the time and, and JavaScript. Like I didn't even really know, like I didn't have it clearly in my head, like what the difference between like the database was versus PHP versus HTML. It was all just kind of like these tools that all were available to me. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I say that because one obviously important piece of that was MySQL and there was no ORMs at the time, or if there was, I was totally ignorant to the fact that they might've existed. So I was learning, I started learning, um, SQL, MySQL using the, uh, whatever the PHP, uh, adapter was at the time, which, uh, yeah, so that was MySQL, the MySQL adapter. But anyway, so, um, 
I guess I started learning SQL that way. I never really started with an ORM. So I kind of had to get my hands dirty and learn it sort of early on by hand. And I actually ran that way for way, way too long. I, I was kind of one of these people that said, oh, you don't need it. You don't need an ORM. You know, we should be writing raw SQL. And that was just because yeah, sure. I was scared of learning a new tool. You know, like it's easy to, easy to be, you know, be that way as a developer. Once you're familiar in a certain style or environment, you don't want to change. So, but anyway, so I eventually uh, started learning the ORM. Uh, it started with Active Record in, um, oh, the framework eludes me, the uh, Code Igniter. So it started with Code Igniter and then uh, really with Laravel. That was the ORM that I really sort of fell in love with. And uh, so, um, and what I realized is, was that an ORM can add like a ton of value to your app by letting you sidestep writing a whole bunch of manual code, a whole bunch of just code that doesn't need to be written by hand. Um, but I never really had this idea that the ORM would replace my SQL layer or my database layer entirely. It was more just a way to speed that process up. So in you know the vast majority of the situations, I could use my, my ORM to, to get data, to update data, to delete records, you know, all these sort of things. But there was always this idea in the back of my head that I could always reach for plain old SQL should I need it. And I've kind of always done that. Um, but if you know a little bit about Eloquent, you don't necessarily want to switch Eloquent being the, the Laravel ORM, the, uh, the framework that I use for the majority of my projects. Um, when you're working with an ORM, you don't necessarily want to switch when doing, say, uh, m moving to more of a customer, a raw query. You don't necessarily want to move entirely out of the ORM. It's nice to sort of stay within the confines of the ORM because it adds a lot of different features, such as just maintaining your connection to the database. So I've always looked for ways to extend my, my ORM to do the things, the more complex tasks that I want to do, as opposed to just writing, you know, jumping over, just writing plain old mm. uh, SQL. So, and that's really kind of how I've found myself in this position with, with Laravel and Eloquent, where I'm pretty comfortable pushing kind of the boundaries of maybe what the vast majority of Eloquent users would do or use it for, and kind of finding creative ways to do these things that I was sort of just familiar with previous to using an ORM and, and trying to do it with it the or within the ORM, be it subqueries or running custom functions that are available within that particular database or doing complex joins or doing some sort of like addition or, or some type of math problem. I try to find ways to do that within the ORM, but kind of as kind of like custom custom queries that maybe you wouldn't see normally. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So I guess like maybe a good place to, to get into things here is to talk a little bit about like what are some of the issues that people run into if they try and do too much of this work in code instead of kind of letting the database do some of the work for them? Yeah, so that's that's a really good question. Um, so the, the big, so there's kind of two main problems that that happen when you try to do too much of the work in your code as opposed to pushing that work to the database layer. And the first problem is one that most people are aware of, and that's just running too many database queries. If you're running a thousand database queries to display one page, that page is not likely going to load very fast. And not only that, you're actually putting a lot of work on your database, which is going to create issues for you from a scaling perspective. Because it's one thing if one user hits a database, hits that page and runs a thousand queries, but what happens when a thousand users hit that page and run a thousand yeah. queries? So, but you know, the, the, these sort of problems, most people are aware of N plus one issues. This isn't really new stuff. Most developers are pretty, pretty in tune with keeping their, uh, their database queries to a minimum. But where we ran into bigger issues on, um, one particular project that I was working on, was more around the memory usage. And this is the part that I don't think we are quite as aware of this problem. So what we did, and I'll kind of describe it using this particular project that I was working on because it'll be kind of help illustrate the problem we ran into. So this particular project that I was building at the time was a, uh, a piece of software that school districts used. And I think I've talked about this on the, on the mm -hmm. podcast before. 
And what it did is every day, a certain amount of school teachers would you know, be sick or on holidays or whatever, and they needed to find substitute teachers to fill in for those teachers. So what our software did is it basically allowed the teacher to say, okay, I'm going to be absent this day. And then it would go off and find all eligible substitute teachers who were qualified to work that particular piece, you know, that particular job. And there's like lots of different eligibility rules, you know, whether or not they had certain credentials, whether or not they were available those days, um, all sorts of different things, as you can imagine, a lot of different business rules. So what we were doing is when we had to find, say you'd load the page in the application and it had to find all the possible substitute teachers that could work a particular job. What we were doing is we would go off and we'd get all the, all the possible substitute teachers. We'd get all their schedules. We'd get all their credentials and all these different records and we'd pull them all down. And then we would do a bunch of work in PHP to kind of figure out which one's could work the job and which ones couldn't. And now the actual getting of the data and the amount of database queries we ran were pretty minimal. Like even though there was a ton of data to grab, we could do it in less than, you know, 10 database queries to get all the data that we needed to kind of do that check. So the database queries wasn't really the issue. But what we found is we ended up getting this into production and in a short amount of time, we had tens of thousands of users on this platform and we were having our pages, like the page loads were just ridiculously slow. We were having some pages taking upwards of 30 seconds to load. Wow. Yeah. And I remember looking at it thinking like, where have we gone wrong here? Cause like the databases are run, like the queries are running fast. That wasn't the issue because they did run fast. They ran in like milliseconds. So I'm like the databases are, the, the database queries are running really fast, but yet our page is taking forever to load. So really what was happening is because we needed so much data to figure this out in PHP because we, in order for PHP to do the work, to figure out if these teachers, substitute teachers were eligible to, to work the job, it needed all the data that was in the database in order to figure that out, right? So when we pulled all that data down, just the act of getting the data wasn't like, was slow in that like it was passing around like megabytes worth of records and data but then each one of those pieces of data needed to be initialized as an eloquent model. And, and we weren't talking like hundreds here. Like we, it, it actually took very little for us to, you know, end up with millions of eloquent records all being initialized in wow. order to do this work. And that's really when like, it was kind of like, whatever I kind of reflect on it now is like, Oh yeah, that was, you know, obviously a mistake, but it was sort of like the only way we really realized we could do it at the time. And we didn't really think necessarily that we should push this work in the database layer. So before we really started trying to push the work in the database layer, we took kind of a natural, I think, in-between step, and that was caching. So we try to find ways to cache the value somehow. So that this was taking a long time to figure out. So if we could somehow cache the value, save it in the database, and not have to recalculate the eligibility every single time, then we might be able to make things faster. And we did at first. At first, we we're like, oh man, we're really onto something here. But then we quickly started facing, you know, that pain that we all have heard so many times that caching, you know, cache invalidation is just a nightmare. And it was because for us, we were dealing with a real time platform. So our software would call out to teachers to substitute teachers. And we actually, we, so we built that through Twilio and it would actually call a substitute teacher and say, hey, this is the software calling, uh, letting you know that there's a job available today at such and such a school for such and such a grade at such and such a time, press one to accept the job, right? So this stuff was all happening in real time. And there would be like some mornings, there would be thousands, some, some morning, tens of thousands of phone calls going out, not to mention emails and SMS and everything else. So this stuff was all happening in real time. And, 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 and substitute teachers who are hungry for work, they're like grabbing the jobs. Like, so our system had to react within milliseconds, right? So a job would be taken and then the next, that job was then no longer available. So the next person had, you know, to be told, sorry, this job's already been taken. So you can imagine the kind of caching challenges we ran into there. Um, and, and, and that was really when I, I still remember having a chat with uh, my buddy, Adam Campbell, who was working on that project with, and I said, you know what? I think we can do this in the database layer. And, uh, 
And it was kind of like, all right, man, like go off and spend two or three days and, and just like put together a proof of concept to see if, you know, we could take all this eligibility business logic that we had written all in PHP and try to push into the database layer. And what's crazy is like with all the caching that we had done and all these different like techniques that we were using to kind of like make it performant, our, our Laravel app had actually become really, really ugly along the way. Cause there was just all these messy pieces that all had to kind of like work, um, to kind of get things working right. And, um, yeah, I remember it just being like really ugly. So then we're like, okay, let's try to put this, let's try to push this in the database. And, and I basically spent two days trying to write this query. And what I ended up doing is I ended up just creating a scope. So if you're familiar with Laravel and Eloquent, scope is really just a method that allows you to take a, a bunch of query builder code and jam it into a scope that you can then easily reuse throughout mm-hmm. the app. And, uh, and I remember building it and it actually didn't take as much effort as I thought. And I was able to recreate the entire eligibility layer, this core business logic of our app and push that into the database layer. And the results were like, it was like astounding. Like it was way, 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 way faster because we were basically asking the database to do the work as opposed to the PHP doing all the work. So instead of pulling all the data down, we just said, okay, run this database query. And, and the database being good at what it does, which is running database queries, ran off, did that work, and then just gave us the small subset of data, the eligible teachers back, and then the app could just kind of carry on its way. Now, I will say that the way you would write this logic, like this eligibility lo- eligibility logic in PHE, the way you'd write it there versus how you'd write as a database query was a real like mind shift. Like you have to write it like just the way you actually write something like that in SQL versus how you'd write it in PHP. Like in PHP, like as you would well know, Adam, mm-hmm. you'd probably say, okay, you'd start with a collection and then you'd start filtering and iterating on that collection and, and working it down. Right. Whereas, you know, in principle it's the same in SQL, but the way you actually have to write that is a little bit different. So it, it took a bit of a, a shift in thinking, but it, yeah, we totally got there anyway. So that was a, that was a breakthrough for, for us on that project. And it was kind of a, a real like eye opening moment for me as a developer where I'm like, man alive, like there's a lot more work that can be done in the database layer than maybe at least I had been thinking to till that Mm. point. So taking kind of a step back, um, I think it'd be interesting to get into a little bit more of the details about like what this actually looked like to implement, if you remember. So like the PHP version of this stuff, what sort of stuff were you doing in PHP where your instinct at first was to think like, there's no way the database could do that. Is it just, you know, like complex conditionals and weird stuff like that? Like, like what sort of work did it just feel like? Yeah. I don't know what the equivalent of this is in SQL. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, uh, for sure. Um, I remember, so I remember one major piece of it was just dates and comparing dates. Um, so what, what, what the, what the substitute teachers could do is they could actually go and they could create their own basically calendar that defined which dates they were able to work and which dates they weren't. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't as simple as having a whole bunch of records, like availability records in the database. Like all those records were defined using R rules. You know, are you familiar with the R rule spec? It's basically like a I calendar think you've showed it to me before. It's like these weird date yeah. strings that are for like recurring yeah. dates and stuff like that. Correct. Yes. So that's what we use, which is really useful. So the teacher, a substitute teacher could be like, hey, we're, I'm available every Monday and I'm available every Tuesday from, you know, five, you know, 5 a.m. To, to 4 p.m. or whatever it was. Right. So they could create these rules. So. I, you know, initially we were like, well, there's, there's no way we're going to be able to recreate these R rules in the database layer. So that's just like, that was just one simple example. Like just in terms of comparing, like, does this, does this like class that we need a substitute teacher for, does it land on a date and time that matches up with one of these like weird R rule strings? Correct. Exactly. Yep. So that was one thing. And then there was, yeah, there was a bunch of different, um, um, just conditionals as well, like based on just, 
um, what sort of credentials you had. And, and, and what happened is you'd end up having like a job and that job would have a teacher and that teacher would have credentials. And then that would like, so there's like a couple layers there. And then you'd have the substitute teacher, which would have like certain credentials as well. And, and those credentials would have like start and end times on its own because like a teacher may only be eligible or may only have a credential for a certain period of time before they have to re- like renew a credential. Mm. Um, so there was like these, so even these pieces that these extra pieces had like dates on them on their own as well that you had to like compare. And then some of the dates are like, it's sometimes really tricky because you have like a date, a start date of whatever, but then the end date might be sometime in the future or it might be in the past or it might be null, which actually like suggests forever, right? And indefinite. So kind of like that kind of stuff as well. Uh, the other thing was like more basic checks. Like is this particular uh, teacher allowed to work in this particular school district? Or were um, another one was teachers could like if a substitute teacher came in and worked a day and that school is like really unhappy with that particular substitute teacher, mm-hmm. they'd be like, yeah, we don't want this person to ever work here again. So then they could have like a blacklist at the school level or they could have like a blacklist at like a teacher, a specific teacher at a school could be like, yeah, no, I don't want this person working in my class. There's okay if they work other jobs at the school, but not that particular God. teachers. So there was all sorts of different things like this. And I guess when like, when we broke it down and didn't think of it all as like one complete set, but actually as a whole bunch of smaller rules, then creating it in the database and creating the database query for it became a lot more possible. Like we kind of just like, I still remember the way that the scope looked. So it would, it had this, the, the main entry method. And then that method basically just called a whole bunch of other methods um, which was just mostly a bunch of different methods to just kind of keep all the day different pieces organized. And, and then it would um, call each one of them and kind of build up this massive query, but it was pretty well organized. And then there was like permission permissions on top of that. So like depending on who you were within the application, like the policies would be different. So if you were an administrator, you'd be able to see certain things, whereas other users may not. So we had to implement that stuff mm-hmm. in there as well. So yeah, it was, it was wild. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, we kind of just split it up and we took each piece by piece. And I remember like if there was like maybe 10 different rules, I think within like the first day I had the first few kind of working and then like it kind of gave me like hope. I'm like, okay, this is possible. And then I'd spent the kind of the remaining next few days kind of like tackling each piece yeah. and then writing really, really good tests around it and making, you know, kind of iterating on that until the kind of the whole thing was built. So did you end up with basically just like a single query that would be able to answer like this question for you? Like, here's like a job that needs a substitute teacher, run this query and it returns like the eligible substitute teachers. That's exactly what we ended up with. Yep. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Odeer. So Odeer is a tool that makes it really simple to monitor your website's uptime and get notified if your site goes down. Now, what makes Odeer different than a lot of other uptime monitoring tools is that it doesn't simply monitor a single URL. Uh, instead, you provide Odeer with your base URL, so like fullstackradio.com, for example, and not only will Odeer verify that that URL is working, it'll actually follow all of the links on that page, crawling your entire site looking for any issues that it finds uh, not just issues on the homepage. It'll let you know whenever your site isn't responding, uh, if any of your pages have any mixed content warnings, as well as if it finds any broken links anywhere on the entire site. Uh, oh dear will also monitor your SSL certificates, so of course it can let you know if one of your certificates is going to expire soon, uh, but it'll also monitor your entire certificate chain, making sure that none of the intermediate certificates have been revoked or having any other issues. Uh, it'll also monitor your SSL certificates for a whole bunch of other complicated stuff that I don't even understand. But if any of it broke or was misconfigured, that stuff would all take your site down. So Odeer will let you know about all those problems as soon as they happen so you can fix them right away. 
Uh, so how do you find out when something is busted if you're using Odeer? Well, Odeer can actually send you notifications through tons of different notification platforms. Uh, so you can configure it to send you notifications via email, uh, via SMS directly to your phone, uh, via Slack, via Discord, and a bunch more as well. If you happen to be a user of Laravel Forge, Odeer can actually import all of your sites from Forge using the Forge API and start monitoring everything for you automatically. So if you're looking for an awesome uptime monitoring solution, definitely head over to odeer.app. And if you use the coupon code FULLSTACKRADIO, all uppercase, all one word, they'll give you 50% off of your first month. So thanks to Odeer for sponsoring the podcast this week. Back to the show. So what sort of like features did you have to use in the database? And I mean, maybe it's worth talking about like what database you're using too, because I'm sure that is important. But what sort of stuff did you have to do that is maybe not as commonly used by people who are not using, you know, some of the more kind of advanced features that a database has that people just don't even know exist? So we were working with Postgres and one thing we learned, and this was much later on, is that Postgres actually has really, really amazing support for date and date range comparisons. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was, I don't think the same thing exists in MySQL, which is, you know, kind of an interesting discussion all on its own about why abstracting your database away so that all databases are the same and it doesn't matter if you use MySQL versus Postgres versus SQLite versus SQL Server or whatever it is that you're using um, is kind of a bit of a, it's just not a very smart decision because each database has its own strengths. And if you can utilize those things, you can do some amazing things in the database layer that are really going to make your app a lot more performant. So yeah, so that was one of them. We were doing date range stuff in the database, which allowed us basically it was like first class support for like date ranges and comparing date ranges. Uh, and that's all we were working with. We were never working with a single date. We were always working with a range. There was a job from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, right. Got and, it. And so that, you'd have to basically check like, does this 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. range on this date overlap with someone's availability and are you comparing that to like an actual range or like where does like all this r rule stuff come into play yes yeah so the r rule stuff so yeah so we so before we get into that so we were comparing those date ranges so it wasn't only it was when the job was versus like a teacher's availability but then it was also when is the job available compared to is that teacher already working that at that time as well, right? Because if they were working, so if the job was from eight to five, but that teacher's already working from maybe two to five that day, well, then they obviously can't work that job either, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the uh, so the R rule stuff was actually one item that we did cache, um, and all we basically did is anytime anyone made any change. So there was a couple things we did and this is where caching like it can be useful. There are situations where you where you denormalize your data to make it more performant, but like you got to kind of know the situation, understand it and understand the risks. So what we did is we took those R rules and which are very basic records and then we basically converted them to actual um, availability or schedule availability uh, ranges, so actual chunks of like a start and end date for every single day for every single teacher throughout the course of an entire year because we couldn't generate that in depth we couldn't generate it for the next hundred years it wouldn't like we'd end up with like just too many records it would take mm-hmm. way too long to generate so what we did is w- within the application we had this concept of school years so every time there was a school year we would generate we'd convert the r rules and cache them to this table that we would then have the cache value and it would be a maximum for each rule potentially of 365 records so how many, year, how right? big did that, this table that first of all, like doesn't even technically need to exist, but does need to exist for performance reasons. Like how big does this table get? It, it, it became tens and tens of thousands of records yeah. in very short amount of time. And it's all just but, disposable stuff that you could just generate again, anytime you needed to. Exactly. So anytime any teacher needed to generate or needed, made a change to their available schedule their availability mm-hmm. schedule we basically just okay delete every single cash value for that teacher and for that year rebuild and then it all. Re- rebuild it all exactly interesting yeah so that worked pretty well because it kind of gave us like it gave us 
the caching could be done at a specific moment. So to me, this is like kind of a little thing that like I learned through the project. Like if your caching has to change based on time, meaning like right now, like the cash value can like expire as time goes on. That's like a really good, you know, uh, and by that, I mean like by time passing, the rules could change for that, for that cash value. That's like a really good indication that maybe caching, it's not the best way because if it, your app has to be real time and time is obviously constantly changing, then that's, you know, you're going to run in some painful, painful cash invalidation stuff there. But whereas these rules, these schedule, these availability rules, uh, it was not like that. Like you would, like triggered you'd based set on your some schedule. action. Exactly. If, yeah. if the caching is triggered based on an action, then that's a really good time to do the caching. Mm-hmm. Because that's all it, so then there was, but even there it's tricky because there's a bunch of different actions. It wasn't only somebody updating their own schedule. It was also in the event that maybe some administrator changed the school years. So if the school years or the school year dates changed, you know, maybe they added a day or removed a day or added a whole new school year or whatever. Well, then we had in those situations go back and kind of regenerate all those as well. Which yeah. we did that when we like if and somebody I, added a new I'm school. I'm sure year. every school probably has different school years and stuff too, right? Or at least exactly. in different districts or whatever. That's right, exactly. So we had to take all that stuff into consideration as well. But that was a good place for the caching. So that's how we didn't. So I yeah, like I remember looking up. Somebody had even written up like so. Postgres has this idea of extensions. So somebody had actually written an extension for Postgres that did our rules, and I remember looking into that. But I think at the time it was one of these things that like it looked amazing. I'm like, oh man, if we can do these R rules right in the database layer, that would be amazing. But it was like one of these projects that I think hasn't hadn't been updated in like two years. And it like I'm like, okay, if our if the the meat and potatoes of our applications like can run on this, to, t- yeah, it was to too important to rely on, on that some third party thing. Yeah. yeah. So the caching kind of allowed us to kind of like sidestep that problem. But yeah. Cool. Kind of yeah. So that was that's kind of a couple of different examples of what we did. Yeah. Is there any other things that you can think of that like you had to take advantage of um, that are maybe yes. less commonly used database features? Yes, absolutely. One thing that we did all the time in this particular query um, is we did uh, where not exists. Um, so, and we did where not exists a lot because of how, so it's almost too bad that we're having this discussion, this discussion about this particular feature query I wrote because I'm I'm racking my brain now about how it all worked but yeah <laughs> um and, and and it's it's been probably a year and a half since I actually wrote this maybe even two years but the reason why um we did where not exists um is because of how it like works in the database so let me just try to remember exactly so when you do a where not exists what happens, and this is actually a built-in Eloquent method. There is a method in Eloquent in the query builder called where not exists. And what you do is you pass it a subquery and you go off and do that subquery. And the reason, and then all you do is you just like select raw one. So you don't actually want any of the values. It doesn't matter what value you get back. All you want to know is does a value exist or not. So the reason why a where not exists is so powerful is because the second it finds one record in a where not exists, it stops. The database says, okay, I found one record. I don't need to keep going to figure mm-hmm. out all the possible you know, records that would match whatever the search criteria is in the subquery. It's like, if I find one, the where not exists is gonna now know, well, it's done. So there was some huge performance performance benefits by using where not exists. And we kind of like reverse a lot of our logic this way. So consider looking for at a substitute teacher to see if they are already working. What we would do is we would say, okay, this teacher is, is eligible for the work unless they've already worked a job. So we would do a where not exists and then compare all the different dates for that job with all the different dates that they are already working. And and what we would do is we'd actually check not to see if they don't overlap, but we would actually check if those dates did overlap. So kind of flipping and kind of like doing the like a negative and then doing a double negative on it. So so the where not exists where it does exist. This is kind of hard to explain yeah, <laughs> over okay. this. But yeah, basically we would say, okay, where not exists and we'd go and say, okay, is there any dates 
that this teacher is already working, does that compare with any of the dates in this set for this job? And if there's a single match, well, then we know that one does exist and that teacher is not eligible. So the where not exists would would then fail and then we would know. And that would just kind of so, short circuit the whole thing and move on to the exact, next one as fast as possible. Yes, yes, exactly. So um, that was like one other example that we used. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other things. We did like a lot of, even within our query builder, like for the whole query for this thing, we would do, so what was kind of neat is in certain situations, we wanted to avoid certain eligibility checks. So for instance, maybe there was an eligibility check that said, well, this person's not eligible if that school has said like they blacklisted them, right? But maybe some administrator wanted to, from that school, like saying, okay, we're having a hard time filling this position. So what I want to do is I actually want to ignore the blacklisting rules, right? Because I'm like, okay, yeah, I know we've said, we're, you know, we're not going to hire this teacher anymore, but like we're desperate here today. So I want to basically disable that check. So what we could do is the way that this particular scope was written, we could actually pass in uh, additional settings to it that said, you know, ignore whether or not that person's been blacklisted, ignore whether or not they have missing credentials, ignore whatever sort of details they wanted to ignore. And we'd add these conditionals into this, this particular query that says, well, we can ignore this chunk. So that was really, really neat because what we ended up having is this like big, huge, massive scope, you know, query, but then it wasn't just like this it wasn't just like, well, this is the one scope for finding all the eligible teachers. And then we had to duplicate the whole thing. Well, now this is the scope for, for finding all the eligible, eligible teachers, ignoring the credentials and now duplicate it again. And for some other situation, like it was one scope that we could tweak yeah. by passing in these different flags, so, which so was, was that, really, really powerful. The idea that this conditional logic still lived in PHP though, like in this scope, yes. you'd basically be checking like, okay, well, if they want to ignore this, then don't append this part of the query, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So that exactly. So there was actually some of that stuff still happening in PHP, but there was no work there because it was just all that you know. There was no data needed for that. Yeah, it was, it just, was just constructing the, the question, basically, not really the answer. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Got it. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's a pretty cool story, man. That's like, um, I think that's a really good example of maybe like one of the most complex like scenarios where you could be doing this sort of thing and like trying to push a bunch of work to the database. But I think maybe um, a place to get into next would be kind of trying to maybe talk about how this can be useful and how some of this knowledge can be useful, even in uh, simple situations. So I really like the example that you used um, both at your Laracon online talk and in the blog post. So maybe it would be good to kind of just walk through that problem and what some of the issues are and what the solution to it is. And maybe we can talk a little bit about how some of the features that you need to make that work uh, actually work for the people who don't know a ton about doing that stuff by hand. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, so I did this talk at Laracon online in February. And um, what I did is I basically mapped out kind of like a dummy example app that I thought like was a good representation of just a lot of normal web apps out there. So like a lot of the web apps, like we, we, we tend to call them like crud apps, right? Um, which is to say that these particular apps, they don't do anything super complicated. They just tend to get some database, get some records from the database, update some records, create some records, delete some records, whatever it is, right? They're not doing any necessarily, you know, these type of webs are, web apps aren't necessarily doing any like crazy complex algorithms or machine learning or, sure. you know, a, uh, you know, like yesterday I sent you that website where, where you give it an image with a person and automatically pulls out the background. Yeah. Like the vast majority of us are not doing yeah, machine like learning. Crazy stuff like that. Yeah, for that, sure. That's right. Like most of us are just like creating like business type tools where we need to save some stuff in the database and then like display it in a meaningful, useful way for people, right? Like yeah. that's a lot of the stuff, at least personally, that's a lot of the stuff that I've worked on. Mm -hmm. So the example I used was in that particular talk, I used a, uh, like a, a, a CRM, like a client relations management sort of app where you can basically add your customers and, and add all the companies and kind of keep track of, of, um, any interactions you have with them as a business, right? Yeah. So, so, I, and, and through that talk, I kind of go through just a, 
a simple example of where you'd maybe want to list all your customers and then show some related data to them, such as their company name or all the last interactions you had and whatever else. So um, I think I think that talk's going to be made available, I think sometime soon. That's, that's the word on the street. So um, if maybe if it does come out, Adam, you can throw it in the uh, show notes. Yeah, sounds so obviously good. if you were at, yeah, if you were at Laircon online, you'd be able to see it. But uh, until then, so, uh, so in my actual blog post, I simplified it down a little bit more and I basically present the challenge. What if you had a user's page in a web app that had the name, their name listed, maybe their email address and the last time they logged into the web app. So, and the last time being kind of like the tricky piece. So to, to display a set of users in a table is not hard to do at all. You just basically just grab that data and display it, right? Mm-hmm. And say, and and to the name and the email are columns on the actual user table, so that's straightforward and simple. But the tricky piece in this example was the last login date. So imagine that you have a table. So you have your users table for one, and then you have a second database table called logins. And every single time a user logs into your application it automatically enters in a new record into the logins table that says there's a login for this user at this time, right? Yeah. And so what you, and this can be helpful for like analytical purposes, right? You want to see how many people log in, how frequently, when they log in, um, the last time they logged in in our situation and different things like that, right? So I, I basically walk through in my example kind of different ways that people might think to solve this today. So like one simple way that someone might try to do this is as they're iterating through their records to display them in the table, you would say user name to output the name. You'd say user email to output the email address, but then you have like this problem with the last login date and like, how do you get that? So one option is to literally just run database query right then and there to say, okay, give me all the logins for this user, grab the last one, and uh, sorry, sorted sorted by the time you know sorted by the the time that they logged in because you want the latest one, and then grab the the first, meaning the last time they logged in, mm-hmm. grab that first record, and then output that record that time, and that works, and it's actually not even the worst solution. But the problem is, if you have a page that has a hundred different users on it you've now created the famous N plus one problem because every single time you display that user, you're going to have to do that database query to find the last login for that user. Right? Yeah. So then in my, in my, uh, in my article, I go on to kind of like the next common way that someone might solve it. So I, I, I kind of like the example of like the N plus one issue first, because like, I sort of feel like that's like not something most people will do because most people know nowadays that like that would create an N plus one issue and that's like bad to do. Right. Yeah. That's like, we can't have 101 queries running just to show hundred users. There has to be a better way. Right. So then I kind of show the second example, which is actually where I think like I've seen people go and I've been guilty of this myself, um, which is it, it looks initially like it's a better solution, but it's actually a lot, a lot worse. So what you could do is if you know a little bit about Laravel and Eloquent or Active Record, you could say, okay, well, give me all the users. So like imagine a collection of a hundred users that you're going to display. And then you can do what's called an eager load. And you can say, well, now eager load for me, all the login records for those users. So you're only lo- you're only eager loading the logins for the hundred users that you're actually displaying, right? So um, and then what you can do is now that you have all the hundred users and you have all their login records, you've only run two database queries. You can then iterate through each user, and then using like just Laravel's collections, you can say, well, give me the last login. So that would be a like imagine the logins as a relationship on the actual user model. You can say, okay, give me the last logins for that user, um, or the last login for each one of those users, and output it. And that'll work. You know, that'll work perfectly if you're only concerned about the number of database queries you're running. Mm-hmm. So you're you're avoiding the n plus one issue because you've just loaded the users, one one database query. You've loaded the the logins, another database query, uh, and you've output it. And you kind of look like you maybe you think you might've won, uh, you solved that problem. But 
in reality, you've actually created a bigger issue. Yeah, you're not running 101 database queries anymore, but if you imagine a typical web app where users might log in uh, on a more regular basis and a single user could over time easily end up with even 100, 100 um, uh, login records and then you have 100 users that you're showing. So if you got an average of 100 login records for each user and you're showing 100 users, you've now just downloaded 10,000 login records from the from the logins table when you do that eager load. Yeah. Right? So, and that's kind of like the type, this is what I mean like about kind of like the memory issues that are like less obvious. And this is what we ran into in our app too. And what happens is like each one of those records, not only does that like increase memory because they're all coming back from the database, even though the database query is wicked fast, it takes time for PHP to actually create an, an actual act, active record instance of each one of those models. Mm-hmm. And, and when, you, when you kind of analyze that and when you use tools to kind of look at how PHP's, what PHP is doing, you'll see that it's like iterating on this tiny little task tons and tons of time. And it may be a slow task just kind of on its own, but when you do it 10,000 times, you suddenly find yourself with an extra 200 milliseconds in your page load. And those kind of things can really, really add up. And that's only if you have 10,000 records in our particular app that I've been talking about, you know, earlier, like we weren't having, we weren't running at 10,000 records. We quickly ran into millions of records that had to be created. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So there are two major problems with relying on your users to submit bug reports to you when they find something broken in your app. Number one, you can't discover all bugs this way. And number two, some users don't even bother submitting bug reports. They just wait for you to fix it, and if you don't, they just leave the service. Now, the best software teams practice proactive error monitoring, which means you detect all the errors in your production apps and services in real time, and then you can debug important errors in minutes or hours, often before your users even notice. Uh, Teams from big companies you might have heard of like Twilio, CircleCI, Instacart, they use Rollbar to do this. With Rollbar, you get a real-time feed of all your errors so you know exactly what's broken in production, and Rollbar automatically collects all the relevant data and metadata you need to debug those errors so you don't have to waste time sifting through logs. Debugging errors with Rollbar is crazy fast. You get the exact stack trace linked directly into your code base, the request parameters to easily reproduce the issue yourself, a data on which user is affected so you know if it's the same user repeating the same error again, what browser and operating system, basically everything you need all in one place. They also have this awesome telemetry feature that's kind of like getting a black box recorder after a crash but for errors. It shows you all the browser events leading up to that error. Uh, So if you aren't using Rollbar already, there's a special offer just for full stack radio listeners if you head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio create an account and install rollbar in your application rollbar will give you a 100 gift card that you can spend to support any of your favorite open source projects at open collective so thanks to rollbar for sponsoring the podcast this week back to the show so i kind of got thinking about this and i'm like well I know back in the day when I was just writing plain old SQL, like this is sort of like a non-problem. All you would do is you would run a subquery to get whatever that extra piece of data is and you wouldn't have to do this whole eager loading business and whatever else. And I think the the problem here is, one, maybe we, we don't think about this enough, the kind of the, the other ways of doing this because maybe because of ORMs, we've all become a little bit more SQL ignorant, not like not intentionally, just sort of the way it's gone. And we're kind of just used to using the tools that the ORM provides us. And and we're not really aware of like kind of what's possible there. So you, you kind of just reach for the normal eager loading relationship sort of tool. Mm-hmm. So what you can do and what I would have done if I was writing this in just plain old SQL in this situation is instead of loading all these separate records, just to get the last login date, all you would really need to do is using a subquery as you're selecting your users. So imagine, you know, you're 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 selecting your users. Maybe you're saying select the ID, the the name and the email from the users table. And now you also want to get their, their last login date. So what you can do with SQL is you can actually add a subquery as a select item. So you can say select ID, select name and select email, but then also select a subquery and then give it the name 
the subquery, you, you have to give your, your subquery a name. So you'd maybe call your subquery, you give it the name last login date. And then within that subquery, you would say, select the created at date from the logins table for this particular user. And, uh, and that's a really fast, very normal thing to do with a sub, with a sub sort of select. But right now, at least in, in Eloquent, this is possible to do, but it's not maybe that obvious to people. And this is why I don't think this technique really gets used very often. So Eloquent actually has built-in support for doing this. It's called select sub. So what you can do is you can say select users.star, and then you can say select sub, and then pass it this subquery, and then give it a name just exactly like I described. And now what it's gonna do is it's gonna go off and do this, this user query, and now when you iterate over users to output, like to show them in your app, you don't have to do any additional database queries because you already have that last login value available as sort of a dynamic column that came back from your users table. So this is like a really, really, really powerful thing you can use in like lots of different situations. And what's neat is you don't even necessarily have to return back the last login date. What you can actually do is if you want, you can return the last login record ID. And by doing it that way, you can still use Laravel and Eloquence relationships. So you, instead of, so imagine you have like a normal like belongs to relationship, right? Where like on a belongs to, you would have the actual ID, the foreign, the foreign key for whatever that belongs to record right on the user's table. So that's essentially what you've created here by doing this subquery, you, you can get the last login ID and then use normal Laravel eloquent relationships to then load that relationship dynamically, even though normally that like that that record doesn't that that column doesn't actually yeah. exist on the user. You're table. creating kind of this like f this fake column where um, in memory now your eloquent model like has this extra field where it says like last login ID which is a foreign key to the logins table, not a last logins table, just the all logins table. Sorry, yes, correct. Yeah, but if you set up a, a relationship called like last login and you say last login is a belongs to from the user to the logins table, then all Laravel is going to do under the hood is it's going to try and see, okay, well, by default, it's going to look for relationship name underscore ID as the foreign key name, right? So it's going to say last login ID and it's going to see a value there and then it's going to query it now i guess the interesting thing here though is normally if you tried to just call that method on like a regular user object you'd get some sort of error about the fact that that column doesn't exist but because you've gone ahead and done this subquery select to make sure that i mean the important thing i guess to understand is when eloquence doing this stuff it's not like looking in the database to see if the foreign key is there it's looking to see what it has in memory so you're almost like fooling eloquent into believing that there was a column called last login id but it's not it's just like the cached in memory value that looks like a column yep yep that's exactly that's exactly it and then you can like use this so this is like what you'd end up having then like kind of using our example from before is you wouldn't have a, like a logins relationship well you would still have a logins relationship on your user model but you'd now also add a last logins relationship or your last login not last logins the last login relationship to that so you now when you're doing this query you're not getting 10,000 logins back you're literally only getting that last one so if you have 100 users and each one of those users has logged in you know each has one login record last login record you're now only re you're only getting back from the database in total 200 records. Mm -hmm. and, and that's again, like only taking two database queries. So like it's a simple little technique and it takes very little to actually put this together, but it has like really, it's really a powerful way of making some of these little annoying problems within your web app, like kind of go away because you can just use this. And this stuff built is built into Laravel. Like, it's just a lot of people just don't even know that it exists. Yeah. So one question I have for you, I mean, we've kind of talked about subqueries and in this example, how like a subquery can be powerful. And we talked briefly about like the general syntax for it. You know what I mean? Like how you do mm -hmm. select sub and eloquent. I think um, what maybe a lot of people 
would need to know to really use this stuff effectively is trying to understand like how a subquery works in terms of like what data do you have available to make to write the subquery you know what i mean so if the syntax you were kind of talking about if you're going to write it as raw sql you'd be doing something like select star comma and then in brackets you would say like some subquery then you would say like as last login id uh, from users, right? Like that's kind yep. of like the, the the higher level structure to the query. So now inside like the brackets where you have the subquery, like do you have like some magical ability to like reference the current user? Like you must, right? So like what does that yeah. look like? Yeah, yeah. So when, okay. So using that exact example, so like you're selecting users.star, so all the columns from the users table, comma, and then in brackets, to get to, to, to start the subquery, what you're going to say is you're going to say select created at, because we want to figure out the created at column yeah. from the logins table. So you're going to select created at from logins, and then you're going to do a where, and this is the part that you're talking about, yeah. where the logins.user ID, so the actual user foreign key, right? Yeah. So where the logins.user ID equals users.id and when you reference users.id that's referencing basically the parent query so it sql knows or your database knows that users.id is a reference to the current whatever that current user is that it's being looked up yeah and i'm so sure what like you're, under the hood it's not like iterating over every row and like building each subquery query independently i'm sure it's got some fancy computer sciencey solution but conceptually in your head you can sort of think of like users dot as like referencing some any value you want off of like the current row and you can sort That's of right. picture it as a loop in your head exactly yep and it doesn't have to be the id like you can do you can compare other stuff too like you could compare dates in a subquery to the parent query yeah right like there's mm -hmm. like it doesn't only have to be foreign foreign keys the only thing is with a subquery you always have to return one result so let's let's start from the beginning of the subquery so you select created at from logins where the create where the logins dot user id so where the login user id equals users dot id the current user that we're iterating through then you say order by created at yeah and then I'll never remember ascending or descending, whatever the one to get the newest yeah, one. Yeah. I think right? uh, I think that'd be descending. I think yeah, descending. I think so. Yeah. So you'd order by it to get the latest one, and then you would say, and this is important, you have to say limit one on that because if you don't limit one, because if you think about it, you're creating you're creating another like column. You're selecting another column. So if it were to return multiple rows from that um, from that subquery. Uh, it, how would it, it wouldn't know, you'd essentially kind of like have an array returned, which yeah, wouldn't yeah, know yeah. what to do. So you have to choose one record. So and, that's and where it's not even one record, in. right? It's like one value even, because you Correct. can only pick one column in the subquery too. One column from Bingo. one row. Yeah, so once you've pulled back that one value, you're now running that. So when Eloquent then goes and runs that query, imagine it's coming back with those four columns now. Your ID, your user ID, your username, your user email, and now that last login ID. So then you, you it basically just looks at that like a regular column, and then you can use that to do whatever you want, such as load additional records using a normal eloquent relationship. Yeah, very cool. Cool, man. Well, I think maybe that's a good place to start uh, kind of wrapping things up since we've been going for a while now. Um, where... Do you think people should look if they want to learn more about this stuff or where can they find uh, the blog post that you put together that kind of covers this in more detail if they want to actually see the code examples and check out the example project and stuff? Yeah, so there's a few different spots. So one is, again, when that LayerCon Online talk is eventually published, um, be sure to check that one out. Um, it's a bit of a roller coaster, 50-minute talk where I jammed way too much 
into one little talk, <laughs> but there's a lot, there's a lot of little goodies in there. Uh, you can check out my blog at reninc.ca, which as of that's R E I N I N K.ca as of right now has a, a grand slamming one article on it, but that's the <laughs> uh, article about the uh, dynamic relationships in Laravel using subquery. So that's really, I'd probably recommend that. Like if you're more of a reader, um, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good place to look. Um, I actually did as well. I should mention that I did create a small package called uh, a small PHP package for Laravel called Advanced Eloquent, which actually makes some of this subquery stuff a little bit easier to use even. Sweet. So yeah, it allows you to do, it adds a, a few different methods. One of the methods is add subselect, which just kind of allows you to build a subselect using Eloquent models, not just using like normal query builder stuff. So that's really nice. And there's also an order by, a few order by um, methods as well. The order by ones are really neat as well. Like, it would have been uh, cool to get into that, but yeah, um, the order by stuff basically just lets you do the same sort of principle, but you can order the results based on a subquery as opposed to selecting it. Yeah, obviously follow me on Twitter. I talk about database stuff there more often as well. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's probably all I would you know say. And you know, reach out to me there if you have any questions. I kind of like nerd out on this database stuff a little bit so and uh what database should people use jonathan yeah this is you're you're putting me in a you know people don't like to hear the people don't like to hear the stuff all right uh but yeah you should be using postgres <laughs> um <laughs> uh postgres is an amazing database but you got you gotta remember like the I think we sometimes forget how long these tools have been around. Like Postgres has been around, I believe since 97 and, and MySQL has been around since like 95. Like these are really well-established, really flushed out complex pieces of software. And uh, if you go MySQL or Postgres, and there's of course others, like you, you can, you know, you can't really go wrong, especially with the newer versions of MySQL because they've come a long way, kind of bringing a lot more of the, the features that people have come to expect in a modern database in kind of the newer releases. So, but yeah, ultimately you do want to use Postgres. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jonathan Renink about improving your application's performance by pushing more work to the database. If you're interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 104. Thanks to Rollbar and Odeer for sponsoring Full Stack Radio this week, and we'll see you next time.